There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. What a world. What a world. What a world. And we got a lot of interesting things to cover today. I mean, we're on the brink of May 11th and... Uh, Pretty scary. Pretty, pretty scary what's about to happen, what's happening already at the border. Anyway, today I'll be talking with Jay Christian Adams, the president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Uh, to, and then at 12.30, Senator Blaise Angolia is calling in. Interesting story in all the major publications today about the fact that uh, our governor took a whole bunch of uh, campaign money and uh, moved it out of his campaign coffers into Blazingolia's campaign coffers, and everybody's been laughing at me, including Blaze himself, because I've been saying that I believe he will be the next governor of Florida, and apparently he didn't know where I got that idea, but now <laughs> I think everybody's got that idea, right? Because if, uh, if he's moving the money into Blaze's account, one would think that Blaze is going to need it for a national campaign, which is fine with me. I happen to like Blazingolia. I think he was, pr he's probably um, the next best thing to having Ron DeSantis as a governor. Uh, today we found out a couple of different things. The press conference, I watched part of it with James Comer and the committee that uh, literally have a lot of evidence that the Biden family in fact is the uh, Biden crime family, they're going to have to, they got to do a lot of splaining is all I can say. So I'm very curious to see how that manifests itself. You know, the mainstream news isn't even going to talk about it. They'll be talking about George Santos, who got arrested this morning on 13 counts, fraud, theft, lies, you know, the, uh, the fabulous fraud, monster. U.S. Representative George Santos, a Republican, New York Republican, who literally just made up parts of his life story. Now he's been indicted on charges that he embezzled money from his campaign, lied to Congress about his income, and even cheated his way into undeserved unemployment benefits. The indictment says Santos induced supporters to donate to a company under the false pretense that the money would be used to support his campaign Instead, it says he used it for personal expenses, including to buy designer clothes and to pay his credit cards and car payments. Also, he's accused of lying about his finances on congressional disclosure forms and applying for and receiving unemployment benefits while he was employed as regional director of an investment firm that the government shut down in 2021 over allegations that it was a Ponzi scheme. Meanwhile, he announced his reelection bid, right? He says, I'm not quitting. Truth still matters. So I don't know. I mean, 
uh, it's a big news story, and they can use it. The, the mainstream media can use this news story to explain why they're not covering the uh, Hunter Biden story. And trust me, that was their intent all along. So we'll see. Um, there's so much to talk about, you know, with not just with my guests, but uh, in, in general, you have to believe that we're at a pivotal point in our political system. People have lost all confidence in the political system, you know, and now they're watching as one after another, we're seeing politicians get hauled off in front of, you know, judges and, and the public forum. Uh, yesterday, Donald Trump was uh, held civilly liable in the sexual abuse case that, uh, that this, this woman, uh, e. Jean Carroll, had pressed against him. Now, he was not labeled a rapist, but he was accused, or, or they are convinced, the jury was convinced that he sexually abused her and then that he defamed her. And they said it would cost him $5 million to get out of this pickle. Now, by the way, $5 million to Donald Trump is like $500 to you or me. And five hundred dollars is a lot of money, but five million, you know, it's a, it's a crazy number. And yet, you know, that's all she was in it for was money and to uh, embarrass Donald Trump. And so she definitely got both things accomplished. If the appellate, you know, if the appeal doesn't uh, diminish her, 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 I don't even know what to call it. Her, you know, here they are trying to figure out whether Donald Trump paid hush money. And now the courts have basically said, we want you to pay hush money to this uh, Carol woman. I, I just, it's very, very, very confusing. And I'm just, uh, I, I, what happens is the public gets inundated with this kind of stuff and none of it means anything to us anymore. We become numb to it all, which is a terrible thing because these are important issues, you know, integrity, the integrity of our elected representatives. And we're now beginning to see that they're all basically pretty flawed and there's nothing we can do about it. They stay in power. Um, other people challenge them and yet they cannot possibly win in elections where so much funding is necessary and the support of the right people is necessary. It just, uh, it's just one of those moments where we really have to take a careful look at just how far we have strayed from what the Founding Fathers' original design was, right? You know, this, even the separation of the various parts of government. I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't see that. I see them all bleeding into one another. And that's pretty scary. But we'll see. You know, as I said in, in, in yesterday's show or the day before, who knows, I can't even remember um, which show it was in, there is a real danger that the American public will get so frustrated with all these stories that they'll just stop paying attention. And uh, that scares me. I don't want to see that happen. Um, 
We're going to be talking with Jay Christian Adams. In uh, We're definitely going to talk about the election integrity law that we have now here in Florida. Um, Jay Christian Adams is a former DOJ attorney, and he's the president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. But I have to talk about what's about to happen and what's happening already at the border, because everybody knows it's a very important subject to me. But I was sent an interesting article today. I also was sent a Department of Homeland Security memo, which I can't tell you where I got it from, but it, uh, it really is disturbing, because part of this memo gives unfettered authority that allows the circumvention of any immigration and border protection laws and at the whim of the director, okay? The rule presumes that those who do not use lawful pathways to enter the United States are ineligible for asylum and allows the United States to remove individuals who do not establish a reasonable fear of prosecution or torture in the country of removal. Non-citizens can rebut this presumption based only on exceptionally compelling circumstances. The presumption will not apply if to a non-citizen if they or a family member traveling with them received appropriate authorization to travel to the United States to seek parole, presented at a port of entry. I mean, this is unexpected. Uh, accompanied children are exempted. This is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. And that's why we are facing the situation at the border that we're facing. But as one of my friends who really doesn't want Donald Trump to win an election um, uh, admits, this catastrophe at the border is a gift to Donald J. Trump. Because in 2016, he showed that if you run on border security, you can win a presidential election, even when everybody says you can't, and even when you're going up against the uh, deep pockets of the Democrat Party and a candidate like Hillary Rodham Clinton. You got the president and his administration at all-time lows. 58% of voters in seven battleground states disapprove of how he's handling the border, right? You know, and the administration keeps telling you and, uh, you know, Karine Jean-Pierre keeps telling you that it's not a problem at the border. And then they send 1,500 troops down there to help process all these people who are streaming across. There were 10,000 already today. Already. You know, uh, more than 60, 162,000 at the southwest border in the month of March. That's a 25% rise over the previous month more than three times the March average for apprehensions under either President Obama or President Trump. Illegal border crossings in the past year surpassed 2.3 million, the most ever. And there are some people out there who still think Donald Trump can't win an election. <laughs> you know, all he has to do is run on his record. All he has to do is run on the same issues that got him elected in 2016, which he failed to do in 2020, which gave that small window of opportunity coupled with COVID and all of those uh, election uh, nonsense rules that were put in place. You know, I, I believed then and I believe now that this is a very important issue to the American people. The economy, illegal immigration, and what they're seeing at the border, Schools being overcrowded, uh, you know. It's, I heard, uh, I think it was Brian Kilmeade this morning say, like there were over ten thousand people showed up in New York yesterday. It's not exactly a border state, or a border city for that matter. 
and yet that's where they're at. So can you imagine? When the people in New York, when the most liberal state, well, California might be a little more liberal, but when the people in New York start complaining and the mayor of New York starts uh, you know, sending these illegal immigrants all over the place, you know it's a good issue to run on, really. So that's, that's where we're at. You know, I'm, um, if you thought for a moment that I was going out on a very perilous limb when I said I thought Donald Trump would not only get the nomination but win the election, my limb is starting to look a lot stronger, a lot stronger. Anyway, although it'll be interesting to see the duel between uh, DeSantis and Trump, which I'm now convinced is going to take place uh, unless, you know, Ron wakes up and has a, a lucid moment, stops listening to all the people like uh, some of my friends. <laughs> But who knows when that'll happen. Anyway, let me take a break. Um, don't forget to have our app, the 850 WFTL app on your phone so you can join in our contest and win a DoorDash gift certificate and get some chicken tenders delivered to your house. And if you don't have the app, just go to the website, 850WFTL.com. I'll be back with Jay Christian Adams, the uh, president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, in just a moment. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, and welcome back. As promised, Jay Christian Adams, who's the president and general counsel of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. I think he's also the founder of the Election Law Center and did, of course, serve in the United States Department of Justice in the voting section and uh, knows everything that you could possibly want to know about election law. How are you? I'm doing great, Joyce. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. But, you know, it's interesting having guests now about election integrity and having a governor like Ron DeSantis and seeing what's going on with our elections and the integrity of our elections. It's a lot nicer than when in 2000 I had to talk about these things. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, that's why we just issued a report called From Worst to First mm -hmm. about Florida elections, because they really have changed, haven't they? Oh, gosh. When I think about, you know, the the terrible coverage that I had to do on the air every single day with Gore v. You know, uh, Bush, it was just a nightmare and a lot of embarrassing moments. But now we're like the 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 perfect example of what every state should be doing, I believe. Well, you're right. And w one of the things Florida does better than anybody is get election results on Election Day. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't have yep. to wait for three weeks. Uh, we just issued a report, like I said, called From Worst to First. You can get it at publicinterestlegal.org. And it, it shows, Joyce, why this is happening. It shows this is not an accident, that Florida has made legislative changes, policy changes, and a variety of reforms that give us results on Election Day. And I think that's something most of America uh, is grateful for, because they're sick of these elections that go on for weeks and weeks and weeks and create uncertainty and doubt and all the other corrosive uh, components of, of languishing results. Yeah, and, and it's not rocket science. I mean, that's an overused term, 
But when you think about some simple rule changes uh, and how they can affect an election, I mean, in 2020, some of the nonsense that was going on around the country with extending the period of time that a ballot could be cast, uh, you know, uh, having these ballots all collected and, and anybody could submit them, all that stuff really, I believe, made people doubt the integrity of elections. And we didn't have any problems in Florida. We knew by seven or eight o'clock who had won every election in in our state. And, and like you said, we were once the worst. Here's how that happened. First of all, Florida has something called electronic poll books in many counties. So when you go to vote, you just show your driver's license. They swipe your name. It, it get, pulls up your record right away. There's none of this like, was that Smith or Jones who said? <laughs> like, you don't have to interpret anything. So right. the lines are shorter. And when the lines are shorter, who's ever in line at the end of the election I'm sorry, when the polls close, still gets to vote. So you don't have to have another 5,000 people voting after the polls close. That mm -hmm. speeds it up. You also have, with mail ballots, and there's a lot of mail ballots these days, mm -hmm. with mail ballots, you have early tabulation. So we don't have, like we saw in Philadelphia, with these jokers with piles of envelopes for weeks mm -hmm. scanning mail ballots. You, Florida gets that done ahead of time, and they make it a crime to disclose any results. It's a crime if you leak who's leading. Mm -hmm. So Florida figured out how to do early counting of mail ballots, and that's why two big reasons why Florida gets election results on Election Day. Right. And, and I think that we knew we were under the microscope, and the, the, we've had Republican governors now for quite some time, and they made every effort possible to first and foremost weed out some of these election supervisors who were nightmares. I mean, I live in Broward County where Brenda Snipes had m monkeyed around with elections to the point of it was embarrassing. I mean, I've told you yeah. before when I've had you on the air, my mother's been dead for 11 years and she still gets a, you know ballot information every single election. Yeah, Brenda Snipes, boy, uh, blast from the past. I, I had a federal court trial against her uh, a number of years ago in Miami for bungling elections. Uh, you're right. I mean, that is part of the, the deal in Florida is the governor has the power under the Florida law to remove incompetence. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Governor DeSantis has done on a number of occasions is to remove incompetence supervisors of elections, and that helps give us election results on election day because they know their job's on the line. They aren't mm -hmm. this, you know, permanent bureaucrat who's never going to go away, who can't be fired. No, Governor DeSantis was firing incompetent election supervisors, and that speeds the process along. Mm -hmm. and, and I have to tell you, I look around the country, I have friends who live in states like uh, Colorado and states like Minnesota. Um, I think uh, Arizona, where, you know, they've tried to put some of the same um, laws or rules in place, and they're not being that successful. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with what you just talked about, the fact that Governor DeSantis insists on people who can actually do the job or else they're out. Right. And don't forget, places like Colorado have, have gone nuts. And so... Mm -hmm. You have election supervisors in Colorado who just 
uh, recently, according to data we collected, public records. This is not, you know, I heard it on the on the Twitter feed mm-hmm. from public records was sending invitations to get a, a to get a, a, a register to vote to over thirty thousand foreigners. This mm-hmm. is like an invitation right. from the Colorado Secretary of State inviting aliens to register to vote in Colorado. That doesn't go on in Florida. That's sort of nonsense, like it did in Colorado. Or, or the breakdowns of uh, scanner tabulators in Maricopa County. That sort of nonsense doesn't go on. And if it does go on, it gets fixed. And if it doesn't get fixed, someone gets fired. Right. Uh, that's what the governor has shown he's willing to do. And it's one of the reasons why Florida elections are pretty much among the best in the country. So what do you think is going to happen? I mean, we have a very hot election coming up again in 2024. And it's looking like very much possibility that it'll be a rematch. And if it is, um, I believe that that both parties are going to manipulate the electoral, <laughs> all of these things that we've talked about, um, changing rules at the last minute, that's going to go on. Do we have a system in place that can circumvent that? Can we have any confidence in our elections outside of Florida? Well, you said changing the rules at the last second. That that was the number one story of the 2020 election is mm-hmm. is because of COVID, because of COVID, all of the normal safeguards got blown up. And it wasn't it wasn't what happened on election day that made the difference. It's what happened in the courtrooms around the country in April, May, June, July, and August of 2020, where left wing special interest groups with lots of billion billionaire money from dark money sources were suing to break down all of the all of the guidelines to mm-hmm. to wreck the safeguards and the guardrails we had because they said oh we can't run an election during covid with any of these rules in place that's the big story of 2020 and your question is a good one it's like well what about that okay well let's look at florida florida passed a series of, of fixes in in 2021 to make sure that we have a better election system Um, naturally the left challenged that in court and they always challenge in tallahassee because they get the good judge they want and the good judge they wanted uh struck down all the florida rules well just last week or so it went to the 11th circuit court of appeals who reinstated all of the rules who said These are valid. These are uh, constitutional. These are permissible. And so once again, at least in Florida, you're going to have better elections. Same thing's happening elsewhere, by the way. It's not just mm-hmm. Florida. You have changes being made around the country, but oftentimes federal courts of appeals are striking down those laws, like in Kansas. It just happened in the last couple of days. Uh, in Arizona, you had a, a federal court strike down good reforms. Pennsylvania, sometimes they do it in court. So you're right. It, it varies from state to state around the country. Yeah. Well, you know, at some point, you know, I tell my audience, you know, we, we fight for the, for the rights, um, and then we just have to pray because, you know, it, it almost feels hopeless sometimes that we can affect real change. But Florida is a classic example of how if you're fighting for the right cause, then perhaps you'll elect the right people and you will get the results that you want. Jay Christian Adams, thank you so much. And I want everyone to go to the website and check out this report on what we're doing right from worst to first. Um, And I thank you. Go ahead. Publicinterestlegal.org is the website. Right. And I thank you again for all the great work that you do. Talk to you soon. Thank Thank you, Joyce.
Bye-bye. All right, and that uh, moves us into this break because I've got uh, Senator Blaze Angolia coming on in just a few moments. So stay right where you are. I'm going to ask him. I mean, i got to ask him, why is uh, Governor DeSantis uh, switching that money over to you? And we'll know the answer. Stay right where you are. All right, and we're going to leave a line open in the hopes that Senator Angolia will uh, call in during this seg uh, segment of the program. But, you know, he's not in session, so maybe he started his vacation. The House Oversight Chairman James Comer laid out all the details to support the allegations that members of the president's family, including his son Hunter, received millions of dollars in payments from foreign entities in China and in Romania, including when Joe Biden was vice president. New bank records cited in the memo were obtained by the committee through a subpoena and include payments made to companies tied to Hunter Biden. Republicans also allege that Hunter Biden used his familial connections to help facilitate a meeting in 2016 between a Serbian running for United States Secretary General and then National Security Advisor to the Vice President, Colin Call. The foreign payments raise questions about Hunter Biden's business activities while his father was Vice President, but the committee does not suggest any illegality about the payment from foreign sources. The bank records by themselves also do not indicate the purpose of the payments that were made. All right, let's, uh, we got uh, Senator Ingolia on the line, so we're gonna bring him on right now how are you sir hey joyce how are you i'm great and uh, you guys got to be pretty happy your session has ended and you you got through a lot of legislation tell us a little bit about uh, you know what you're proudest of yeah so uh we did we had it was one heck of a 60 days i would say that it was uh epic and historic we got so many big pieces of policy done in 60 days. It would probably take us 10 years normally to get these uh, these big policies done. Um, some of the things that I am most proud of is uh, death penalty reform that you and I have spoken about before, uh, illegal immigration reform, which was signed by our governor into law today. Um, as far as just overall, a lot of the policies that have done you know, we passed um, the death penalty for child rapists. We are the first in the nation to do that because we know that these people cannot be rehabilitated. They're just going to keep on offending and our youngest and most vulnerable are at risk from these predators. Um, the largest. Did we lose him? Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep that line open for him. You know, and, and that's an interesting piece of legislation, actually, when you think about it, that uh, all of these uh, uh, child predators uh, apparently are very, very uh, likely to recommit the crime. So should a death penalty be in part of the... Okay, let's get back to Senator Ingolia. So, yeah, I, there's a lot of, you know, mixed feelings about the death penalty for child rapists. I happen to not have any mixed feelings at all, but, uh, you know, I'm hearing a lot of that. That, that might have been a step too far. Are you getting that kind of feedback? 
No, actually, we are getting the opposite. We have a lot of people who are agreeing with that. Even um, many Democrats uh, have come to the conclusion that these people just cannot be rehabilitated, that they're going to go and they're just going to reoffend. And once they rape one, I think on average they do it again like 60 times or something along those lines. But we need to protect our most vulnerable, and that's what that's what this does. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, I was saying that we passed the largest expansion of school choice anywhere mm-hmm. in the country. No longer will the government fund the schools and the system. We're actually going to fund the student and the parents, so the parents can pick and choose uh, and take money with them and decide where they want to go to school. Um, these are some big policy issues that we got done this year, and I'm just honored to be uh, to have a small part of it. Well, and of course, you know, this is the proof that I needed that when you put power in the hands of conservatives and, you know, parties notwithstanding, the Republican Party is the home of most of the conservatives in this state anyway, um, you will get conservative results. And when people tell me, well, but we have to work across the aisle and and we should have, uh, you know, more conversation between the two sides, what kind of conversation can you have about child predators and immigration? I mean, there really should be only one position on that. Yeah, to your point, Joyce, unfortunately, the left uh, has hijacked the Democrat Party. So we very rarely align with a lot of these issues. And to your point is we have a supermajority in the state of Florida. We have a governor who won his first race by about 50,000 points, won uh, 50,000 votes, won re-election by 1.5 million votes. Mm-hmm. I would say that that is a mandate, and the mandate comes in the form of supermajority for Republicans. Mm-hmm. And the supermajority for Republicans comes with a mandate to govern conservatively, and that's what we're doing. And so... While we do listen to our friends across the aisle, we just don't put stuff in there to make them feel good. If we disagree with the policy, which we often do vehemently at times, um, we are going to not listen and we're just going to keep on pushing a conservative policy. We're being rewarded at the ballot box, and hopefully Floridians, the families, businesses are going to be rewarded with great policy. Yeah. Uh, I think that immigration piece was very important. I think the country is going to be rocked in the next couple of weeks. I mean, even the president said there's going to be chaos. Imagine you're the president Joyce, of the United States and you're calling it chaos. <laughs> Joyce, it's an invasion. So here's proof that it's an invasion. Right now, we all know that Title 42 is going to end tomorrow. Our best estimate is 600 to 60 to 700,000 migrants are waiting until tomorrow to start crossing the border. 660 to 700,000. To put that in context, there are about 180 to 190,000 Russian troops on the border of Ukraine Mm. when they invaded Ukraine. There is more than three times as many migrants waiting at our southern border than there were Russians looking to invade Ukraine last year. It's an invasion. The open border policy is an absolute dismal disaster. Mayorkas should be uh, impeached. Biden should nowhere near get reelected because he is causing problems 
This is a man-made problem caused by our federal government, and Biden, unfortunately, is the ringleader. Well, and I think that what uh, you guys proved in this session is that states may not control immigration policy. It's a federal, uh, you know, affair. However, states can put some rules in place that maybe will offset some of the worst disaster. You know, and as for this state, you know, taking illegal immigrants and sending them to sanctuary cities seems like a really nice thing to me, and I hope we're planning on doing more of it. We are. In the bill that we just passed that the governor signed into law, there's another $12 million in there to continue the illegal immigrant relocation prop, um, um, immigrant uh, illegal immigration program that will send the uh, illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities. New York, um, New Jersey, if you guys wanted to declare yourself a sanctuary city, then you should be prepared for what's going to come. And now we know that they're starting to realize just how bad of a policy that is. But, Joyce, let us not forget that states um, have created this problem also by creating magnets. When you allow illegal immigrants to get in-state tuition, to become attorneys, to um, get driver's licenses, free health care, we're creating the environment where people want to come over illegally because it's easier. And that's one of the things we did with this piece of legislation is take away some of those magnets. If other states can do it and the federal government can do it, also we would be in a better place. Absolutely. Now, of course, the other day my phone started, well, yesterday, my phone started blowing up because I have been on the record, actually, on the air saying that I thought you would make the next best governor. And you laughed the first time I said it, but when everybody saw this move yesterday by Governor DeSantis to, uh, you know, uh, cut himself off from a political committee that has tens of millions of dollars in its coffers, and the report was that now it's affiliated with you, not him. Uh, what's that all yeah. about? Well, look, I, I'm I'm taking over the committee, and the committee is going to continue being focused on um, a freedom agenda and standing up for candidates who stand up for parental rights and are standing up for students and standing against a woke ideology that is destroying our, our school system and our businesses. So, yes, I am the, the chair of that committee, and my job is just going to remain the same and make sure that we get some of these candidates who are standing up for the things that we believe in across the finish line. Yeah. Well, I'm still, my prediction stands, you know, if you were to uh, decide that you would uh, run in the next gubernatorial race, you have my support, so there you go. And now I know you'll have the money to do it. (laughs) Man, thanks so much. Go ahead and have a, you know, I know you still have to work at a real job, but uh, at least you're home from Tallahassee for a while. All right, and I I appreciate you, and uh, thank you for continuing having me on. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Uh, that, uh, listen, you know, he can't say much, but I am convinced, I've been convinced for some time now that he is the heir apparent, and that works for me because I think he is, uh, he's a true conservative. I'm so tired of wishy-washy people and having to, you know, sort of support them because they have an R or because they say they're conservatives. I watched him very closely over the last couple of years and time after time he'll stand and he'll say hey look a death penalty for child rapists that's uh, got to be a tough p- 
position in many ways to take, and yet he's un, unwavering about certain things, and that's what we want. We want politicians to be decent people who have the same opinions once they get in office that they expressed prior to winning elections, but maybe it's just me, you know? Anyway, um, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock, it's Ben Shapiro. And then at 6 o'clock, it's the WPTV News. After that, we have a number of interesting programming all night long. And then in the morning, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show. As for me, I have one more segment left today. Stay right where you are. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. You can't you can't make this stuff up. But you gotta admit that there's this whack-a-mole thing that goes on in American politics. And I have been anticipating that they'd have to come up with like a really big story to offset whatever Comer's committee in Congress is going to be talking about. They had a, a press conference that ran like an hour which is unusual for a congressional committee. But, uh, you know, they've been teasing for months that they have a paper trail that's going to uh, make it really hard for Hunter Biden to escape prosecution. Let's put it that way. Um, of course, now the, the White House is saying that Cus Congressman Comer has a history of playing fast and loose with the facts and spreading baseless innuendo while refusing to conduct his so-called investigations with legitimacy. He has hidden information from the public to selectively leak. Doesn't this sound like Adam Schiff? I mean, both sides uh, use the leaking process, which is awful. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's just awful. We, we have no integrity anymore, anywhere in our systems, whether it's the media or whether it's, you know, the 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 political class, I don't even know what to call them anymore. But uh, good story, I have a good story. This is an interesting good story. The House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, uh, moved last night to block Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib from hosting an anti-Semitic congressional event that she was supposed to be holding today. Um, Speaker McCarthy said that he intervened late Tuesday to reserve the Capitol Visitor Center space where Talib was set to host an event uh, to mourn Israel's founding as a catastrophe. In its place, the speaker will lead a bipartisan briefing celebrating the 75th anniversary of the U.S.-Israel relationship. It's wrong for members of Congress to traffic in anti-Semitic tropes about Israel, McCarthy told the Free Beacon. As long as I'm speaker, we're going to support Israel's right to self-determination and self-defense unequivocally and in a bipartisan fashion. So can you imagine? She was scheduled, this squad uh, member, the anti-Semite, uh, to host an event with all these anti-Israel groups, including some that defend terrorism. And the event was meant to celebrate the Nakba, which is a Palestinian term for the creation of Israel that loosely translates to the word catastrophe. It is unclear how Tlaib and her supporters will move forward with the event now that McCarthy has occupied their meeting space. 
Talib or another member could potentially attempt to reschedule the event for a later date. Now, this intervention by the speaker comes on the heels of a letter that was sent by a rabbinical group asking leaders in the House and Senate to condemn the event. It is unsurprising but appalling that the featured speaker at this event will be a member of Congress who describes the only Middle Eastern country to give equality and voting rights to both Jews and Arabs as apartheid, according to the Coalition for Jewish Values, which is a pro-Israel advocacy organization comprised of more than 2,000 rabbis, and a copy of the letter was obtained by the Free Beacon. We hope that our request will meet with your favorable response and that you will condemn this event in the strongest terms as soon as possible. The uh, BDS people that were going to be there uh, included Jewish Voice for Peace, which is a radical anti-Israel activist group that pushes for the BDS, uh, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, and has come under fire for glorifying all these uh, Palestinian terrorism acts. And other organizers rather include M-Gage Action, which is another BDS supporter, uh, and Americans for Justice in Palestine Action, which is an advocacy group that claims that Jewish money is infecting politics. The invitation for Wednesday's event accuses Zionist militias of violently expelling Palestinians from the region when Israel was created in 1948 and maintains that Israel continues to brutalize Palestinians. May 15th marks 75 years since the beginning of the Nakba, which means catastrophe, the invitation reads. 75 years ago, Zionist militias and the new Israeli military violently expelled approximately three-quarters of all Palestinians from their homes and homeland in what became the state of Israel. Which, by the way, they've been given back large portions and have done nothing, nothing to improve the lives of the people. But, you know, don't confuse Rashida Tlaib or anybody else with the facts. They prefer to their feelings over facts, as, uh, as Ben Shapiro likes to say. And then finally, of course, the big story. Uh, Tucker Carlson has basically announced that he is going to be um, going after Fox News for this non-compete and taking to Twitter. And I've said from the beginning, you know, it's so fascinating to me. The day he was fired, I said that if Elon Musk wants to turn himself into a powerhouse of information, he would immediately um, make a home for Tucker Carlson. And I got about, not, mo most people agreed with me, but I got a handful of emails that said, you know, that's ridiculous. How would Twitter even do anything like a, a show? And I said, my goodness, you know, you can have live feeds anywhere. Facebook does uh, programming. Any, any social media platform with huge bandwidth and with the capability of a Twitter, of a town hall Twitter, um, could pull this off. And now apparently that is the intent. But I read an interesting piece that included some comments by Cheryl Atkinson, who I haven't talked to in a long time. I have to give her a call, about how American corporate media has become more and more disconnected from what really Americans care about, you know, our concerns, our aspirations. According to uh, several media insiders who talk about this stuff, the media has become subservient 
to the elitist political and corporate class. And, and basically, they are now espousing all these values that really people like me and you don't share. We don't understand why they are insisting on these things. Uh, the recent firing of Tucker Carlson, of course, the most popular host on Fox, is very emblematic of the broader issue. Whatever led the ned network to fire him, it must have outweighed the preferences of its audience because they have responded. You know, whatever the reason was stated, Carlson was taken off the stage, we believe, so that he couldn't be effective in 2024 in influencing the election. So let's see. It's not the first time we've seen this go down, so it's going to be very interesting to see how and when this end. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will, and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. I'll see you all tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.